You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning. Hey, 40, you can be seated. We're in a series called the Trinity called God in Three. As we try to wrap our minds around the nature of this triune God, one God, three persons. And today we're going to understand together from Scripture who the third person of the Trinity is. Uh, not third in importance of, of order or, or importance of, uh, of, of, of the Godhead, although sometimes we, we kind of tend to think that way. It's just third in, in the listing. This is the Holy Spirit, the third person of, of the Trinity. Uh, might be kind of interesting to me to see who I'm preaching to today. If you were raised Baptist, uh, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, uh, one of those Protestant kind of mainstream, would you just lift your hand? You, you were uh, raised that way. Wow, look at that. I got the Lutherans to raise hands in church. That's amazing. Okay, you can, can put your hands back down. How many of y'all were raised um, charismatic, Assembly of God, Pentecostal? Ra- raise, raise your hand for me. Your hands have already been up probably several times today already. Awesome. I'm just always kind of curious uh, who's here. The irony is the Holy Spirit was, was given to the church to unite the church, and yet often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of well, there's a lot of disagreement or a lot of misunderstandings or a lot of, of division. Uh, you, you know this about Highland. Highland is a, is a diverse church. When I talk about you, and oh, I do talk about you, um, I usually say theologically, there's about three different C's here. Uh, we have Calvinists, those who are more Reformed. Uh, we have conservatives, kind of some traditional Protestants. And we have charismatics here, here at Highland, those who are very expressive, the, the full use of all the, all the gifts. And, and I think that's a good thing. I think we have a lot to learn from one another. And I say this very often, not only can we worship together, we should worship together as the Spirit of the Lord has, has united us. So my goal today really is, to, is honestly to stretch all of us a little bit. Using Scripture and taking the passage we're about to look at in a few moments that will hopefully challenge us and shape us as it pertains to living the Christian life by the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. Back in the early 1900s, there was a wealthy Alabama landowner and he decided upon his death, he wanted to give an inheritance to a hired hand, an old man who had helped him faithfully for for many years. And so he had set aside $50,000 to give to this hired hand. Now, back in the 1900s, $50,000 was like $500,000 today, about half a million dollars uh, in in equivalency to 2023. The the landowner died and um, the bank, the lawyer actually, called um, this hired hand and said, you you have $50,000 in the bank that the landowner owner gave to you because you have faithfully helped him for all of these years. And the lawyer passed that along that the banker even called as well and said, there's $50,000 in your name here, here in the bank. Well, several months went by and they called the old man again and said, no, you're welcome to come and, and, and have some of this 50,000. If you want to take some of it out, withdraw some of it and, and no response. And so almost a year later, the banker actually went to the land where this hired hand lived and said, sir, you have $50,000 in, in the bank and the hired hand, the old man looked at him and said, thank you for that. Do you have a dollar that, that I could borrow to get some cornmeal for my family? I, I mean, here's a man who had $50,000 to, 
to his name in the bank, and yet he was, he was asking for a dollar for, for food. I think this is the state of, of where many Christians are today. We have this wealth of inheritance in the Holy Spirit. We, we have this power that we can tap into. We have the goodness of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all there for our taking. We have this inheritance, and yet we're trying to live on one dollar of Holy Spirit power. And there's so much that is available. So let's go to where Jesus introduces to us this concept of a spirit-filled life of his disciples. We'll go to John chapter 14 together. The Gospel of John, let's go to the 14th chapter. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel in, the fourth book in. John chapter 14, we'll begin in verse 15. We're gonna take a pretty good sized passage, but I'll just kind of hopefully teach and explain as, as we go through it. So John chapter 14, beginning verse 15, this is Jesus speaking. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 15 and verse 16 are so connected. You even see it there at the beginning of verse 16. Most translations use that word and right there to show the transition between verse 15 and verse 16. In other words, the Spirit, that this helper, the Holy Spirit is going to give us the ability to love Jesus more and more and thus obey him more and more. Have you noticed so far in life that we have no problem at all obeying what we love? We never struggle obeying what we love. So if you love something, you love someone, you, you never have a hesitation to do what is, ever, what is ever necessary to be near that something or that someone that we love. So the Holy Spirit here, the reminder is drawing us into this abiding relationship with Jesus, that we might know Jesus more and more, we might love Jesus more and more, that when we hear God's commands or we read God's commands, it is not a cold thing that we have to do, but because of our love for Jesus as the Holy Spirit draws us into that relationship more and more, we joyfully obey because we're growing more in love for Jesus. Let me just repeat this again. We never have a problem obeying what we love. Note takers, you can write this down. The implication here is that we're going to need help. This is what Jesus says in verse 16. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, another meaning outside of Jesus himself. Another helper is going to come, and this helper is going to be with you forever. The implication here in verse 16 is that all of us are going to need help in this room spiritually. It's almost like Jesus is looking at his disciples and said, you're going to really need to keep my commandments, but I've been around you guys for three years now, and I don't think you have it in you. So I'm going to have to ask the Father to give you a helper because you're going to need that helper so that you can follow me and love me and obey me. Let's just bring it to 2023 in this house. We all need help in knowing who Jesus is. All of us in this house, we all need help in staying close to Jesus. We all need help in, in obeying Jesus. We all need help bearing Christ-like character. And we're going to need to ask the Holy Spirit for that help. What is that Christ-like character that we need help with? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You can't force those things. In other words, you can't, you can't manufacture morality. It comes from the Holy Spirit within us. You submit to the Spirit, and, and those things are produced in you. I mean, have you ever seen an apple tree straining to produce apples? 
oh, just trying my hardest to produce apples. No, it comes naturally to an apple tree as set up by, by God's laws of, of, of nature. It's the same thing in us as, as believers in Christ. There's a Holy Spirit. We're leaning on the Holy Spirit, asking for help. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a helper. And the way to live this spiritually fruitful life is to be more and more surrendered to the help of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, the beginning of verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This is pretty important, actually. The spirit of truth whom the world, meaning the lost world, those outside of Christ, cannot receive because it, the world, neither sees him nor knows him. The world around us that does not know Jesus Christ is completely oblivious altogether to the Holy Spirit. The world cannot know the Holy Spirit. The world cannot comprehend the Holy Spirit. The world cannot live in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why often, Christians, we're so confusing to non-believers because we understand, we know, we comprehend that we have a helper residing in us who is the Holy Spirit. Let me make note of this though. Again, note takers, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. Some Christians might need to read that memo. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird, but does make you uniquely able to live counterculturally in the world. How is it that we would live counterculturally? Look at the name of the Holy Spirit here in verse 17, the Spirit of Truth. I mean, you and I, we live in a forgery culture. We live in a world of propped up images and massive debt to keep up the facade. We live in a culture that is fake, that is pretend, that is shallow. But, but Christians who, who live in the Spirit, they live truthfully. And that's completely counter to the plastic world in which we live. Christians led by the Spirit are going to live counter to the culture around us. Not weird, but counter. Look at the rest of verse 17. You know him, speaking of the Holy Spirit. So remember, verse 17, the beginning says, the world does not know him or see him, but you, Christian, you know him. Disciples of Christ, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Dwells with you is in present tense. Will be with you is in future tense. So Jesus is saying right here, right now, speaking to the disciples 2,000 years ago, the Spirit is with you, but soon, and we know later on in Scripture, once Jesus is ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What a sweet verse right there. What, what huge theology right there. We don't have to beckon the Spirit to come. We don't have to ask the Spirit to, to be with us today or to be in us today. In fact, there's no scriptural reference to even that prayer that we hear a whole lot. Holy Spirit, come, come down. Come, come fill this place. Come fill this atmosphere. We, we don't conjure up some emotional experience of the Holy Spirit because we see this promise right here. After Jesus departs, he says, we won't be alone. The Holy Spirit will come to us. And Jesus is going to say something almost shocking one page over. You're in John 14. Go over to John chapter 16. Probably just one page over in your Bible. It's on the screen also, but it shouldn't be that hard for you to get there. John 16, verse 7. This is almost a shocking statement. This is Jesus still speaking of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I, Jesus, God the Son, go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. Note takers, write this down. This may be 
little controversial, it's more advantageous to have the Spirit in you than Jesus beside you. If that bothers you, don't, don't send me an email. Talk to Jesus about it. He's the one that said it. The Spirit in us is going to give us that much power, Christian, that much guidance, Christian, that much strength, that much hope that Jesus said it is better for you, which is why it says in verse 7 there, it is to your advantage for me, Jesus, to leave so that you can have the Holy Spirit in you. And then Jesus deep dives back in verse 14, excuse me, chapter 14, if we jump back to verse 19 where we, where we left off. Jesus goes deep, deep right here. He gives us a glimpse of the mystery and the beauty of of the Trinity. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. In other words, Judas, not the dirt bag. There were two Judases at, at that time. Like, How would you like your name to be Judas and you're one of the disciples, right? You go to church somewhere 2,000 years ago and you're preaching like, hey brother, what's your name? Well, I'm... I'm Judas, but not that one. Like, I'm, I'm the other Judas, not the, not the traitor Judas. It's like being a Baptist pastor and your name is Harry Potter. Like, no, no, not, not that Harry Potter. Like, I'm a, that's just what my parents named me. And so, okay, too much of a side note here. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, look at this plural pronouns, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who, who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Did you see that the triune nature of God in this passage, Trinitarian doctrine, again, again, essentially is this. There is one God who has existed eternally in three persons. It's not that we think there's three gods, like there's a little God family. That's, that's polytheism. It's actually what, what Mormons believe. It's not one God in, in three modes, like God keeps changing costumes, like he's God the Father, he takes that hat off and then he decides to come down as the Son and then once the Son leaves, he decides to turn into, into the Holy Spirit. That's, that's modalism and that's heresy, that's false doctrine as well. The Holy Spirit also is not some impersonal God force. That's also false doctrine. In fact, it's what a lot of progressive Christianity espouses today. The Holy Spirit's not just some force of, of God. God is one God who exist eternally as, as three persons. Look at the various ways that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in the passage we just read. He's saying, I'm gonna go away. Then he, the Holy Spirit, will come to you. So two distinct persons of, of the Godhead. God the Son's gonna go. God the Spirit's gonna come. Verse 18, talking about the Holy Spirit, said, I'm, I'm gonna come to you. Not God the Son coming, but God the Holy Spirit coming. How about verse 23? This is fascinating to me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me and keeps my word, Jesus says, we... We will come and we'll make our home with that person who, 
who loves Jesus, that person who keeps the word of Jesus. So in the spirit, you also get the Father and the Son. This is great Trinitarian doctrine right here that Jesus is, is talking about as he, as he speaks. So let me give you three things about the Holy Spirit from this passage we just read that took us all the way to verse 26 of, of chapter 14. Three things that, again, you might want to write down. These may, this may be brand new news to you or a great reminder to you about this third person of the Trinity and how he applies to our daily lives. Three things. The Holy Spirit, first of all, is going to teach teach us all that we need, and also trigger our spiritual memory. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us all that we need to know, all that we're going to need in life, and it's also going to trigger our spiritual memory. I hope your Bible's still open. The Holy Spirit's going to be, verse 26, our teacher of all things that we need to know as a Christian. And if he's going to be our, our teacher, this puts us in a very interest, interesting position of you and I having to be good listeners and good learners. And if there's anything in 2023 that we struggle with, it's listening well. But to be in Christ and to be under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit, to be submitted to him as a, as a teacher, we're going to need to, to listen. The Holy Spirit's going to teach us everything that is truth. Think how many false things you heard this past week. Or how many half-truths you, lear you learned and heard. And maybe even absorbed and perhaps even believed this past week. But the Holy Spirit's going to always guide us into 100% truth. He can always tell us the truth. Again, you're in John 14. Go back that one page again to John chapter 16. These are two of the key chapters in, in the New Testament about the role of the Holy Spirit. Go back to John 16 again and look at verse 13 with me. And we'll just, we'll, I'll just read just the beginning. No, I'll go and read all of it. Verse 13, chapter 16. Uh, when the Spirit of truth, so that's the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit comes. He, so not an it, he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you, Christian, into all the truth. Uh, Jessica read this earlier. For he, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, the Holy Spirit, hears, he will speak. He'll hear that from the Father. And he will declare that to you, the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit's going to always teach us what is true. He's going to always guide us into truthful things. Now this is going to require, again, not only that you and I are learners, but also that we're listeners. But thirdly, it's going to require us to have our Bibles open. As God has spoken through his people, the Holy Spirit has spoken through the people of God to write down the word of God so the people of God can be led by the Spirit of God. So it's going to require you and I to, to be listeners, to be learners, but to have our, our Bibles open so that we can be guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, teachers and professors in the room, I know there's quite a few teachers here today, quite a few professors here today. I would guess, let me just make a guess on your behalf. I'm not a professor, I'm not a teacher. Let me make a guess on your behalf. The, the, the one who is the most difficult student to teach is the one who comes unprepared to class. Amen. Amen. I thought I figured there would be a professor or teacher out there somewhere. You may want to look around and see if that was your teacher back there, by the way, that just said that. It's the one that comes unprepared to learn, unprepared to, to listen. It's, it's the same in Christianity. It, the most difficult way for you and I to live the Christian life is to come to Scripture unprepared. Or to come to Scripture unprepared to learn or unprepared to listen. Is that you and I come into Scripture ready to be led by the Holy Spirit into all truth. The other thing the Holy Spirit does here, you see this in point one, is that he triggers our spiritual memory. He, he reminds us of Scriptures that, that, that we have read before or learned before. And I bet if there's 
1,100 people in this room right now. I bet there's 1,100 different stories of times in your life where you're in a difficult situation or a situation of temptation or a situation of, of hurt, and all of a sudden some scripture came in the back of your mind. You're thinking, when was the last time I read that scripture? I mean, maybe months, maybe, maybe years. That's not your great memory. That's the Holy Spirit reminding us of scriptures for, for a time of need. But let me say this to you, and this may step on a few toes, but let me, just, let me just step away. The Holy Spirit can't bring to mind scriptures that you have not put there. What does the Holy Spirit do? It says it so clearly in verse 26, brings to your remembrance. It helps you to remember something, so you have to have something there to remember. The Holy Spirit can't bring to mind scriptures that you have not put there yourself. Therefore, when we're in scripture, we're reading scripture, the Holy Spirit is guiding us in all that truth. Where we're bringing in that scripture, you never know that time the Holy Spirit may trigger that memory and remind you of everything that you have read in God's word. Secondly, this is gonna be an interesting point. The Holy Spirit is going to manifest God's love to us. The Holy Spirit is gonna manifest God's love to us. Did you notice in verse 21 in verse 22, both, we see that word manifest. It's there two different times. Jesus uses it, and then Judas, again, not Iscariot, asked the question about what does that mean for, that, for, for, for you to be manifest, the Holy Spirit to be manifest, the God's love to be manifest. Your translation may not use the word manifest. It may use the phrase there, make himself known. Now, this is where the Stoics in the room, those who lean on truth more than you do spirit, and let me just tell you, I'm one of you, this is where you and I need to grow up spiritually. Because manifest, oh, I'm gonna get some emails on this. Manifest means to appear to the senses. Manifest means to, to, to be felt, to be sensed. Manifest means, ready for this non-charismatics, to make you feel. So Jesus is saying right here, you feel the nearness of my spirit as in you as we, the triune God, verse 23, as we make our home in you. There'll be this manifest nearness, this, this presence, this sensing, if you will, of the presence of God's love. So let me just be very practical with, with you on this. Now, charismatics, you can tune me out for a second because you're already there. So everybody else maybe might, might want to hear this. Don't dismiss goosebumps. And don't dismiss tears. And don't dismiss emotion that you might feel as we worship the Lord together, as we study scripture together, as we take communion together next Sunday. As we gather as God's people, and at times in the middle of songs, you just kind of, you, you sense something, maybe the nearness of the Lord. Again, how that manifest might be tears. It might be lifting up of, of hands. It might be emotion as a response. That can be a response to the manifesting, the nearness of the triune God, the felt nearness of God's love. Romans chapter five, you see this on the screen behind me. Romans five, five says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the, the ASV, the American Standard Version, says the love of God has been shed abroad on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and it will manifest, will make himself known, will, will appear in nearness to us, will be felt and, and sensed by us. There are times when, when God's love is just so real 
that you sense his nearness. You, you feel that love. It comes alive. That's, that's the presence of God. So I'm going to quote a really stoic Calvinist when it comes to this point. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and I love this, the presence of God is a felt sense of all the attributes of God. That's the spirit in you. You can sense his nearness. So again, for you Stoics out there, I'm one of you. Those who love truth more than spirit, I'm one of you. Don't dismiss the fact that the spirit loves to manifest himself, to manifest God's love and that nearness, that he is near to us, that you sense his nearness, that he is the God whose love can be felt. That's the Holy Spirit in you. You can sense his nearness, his love, his presence. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is a perfect counselor and prayer. I'm not real sure how to spell that, so I just put a little dash in there because I don't want you to think it was the word prayer. He is a perfect counselor and prayer. The Spirit is a, is a counselor too. As you, you see this in verse 16, the word translated as helper in verse 16 is the Greek word paraclete. And we don't have a great word for that in, in English that coincides. So some of your translations don't use the word helper. It uses the word comforter. Some of your translations in verse 16, chapter 14, uses the word counselor instead of the word, instead of the word her, uh, helper. Paraclete literally means someone who walks alongside you and speaks to you. Para means alongside, like, like a paramedic, a medic that comes alongside you, parallel, uh, two lines that are moving alongside uh, one another. So para means alongside. Kaleo means to speak. So the Holy Spirit is the one who walks alongside you and speaks to you. The, the Holy Spirit does that to us and, and for us. Let me just give you an example. There may be a time in your life where your heart is condemning you and you feel like you're a failure. You feel like you're so weak. You feel like you're so broken that you can never be fixed. The Holy Spirit begins to speak a louder word and he says, no, no, no. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit will remind you of 1 John chapter 2, even when your heart condemns you, God is greater still greater than our heart, or maybe when circumstances in your life, you feel like God has abandoned you, that the Spirit will cry out to you with a louder voice. And when I say loud, I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak out loud. Let me just, you may have, and that, I assume he sounds like Mufasa. I have no idea what he sounds like, but, but he has spoken very loud to, to my heart before. And the Spirit will cry out when you feel like God has abandoned you. The Spirit will say, no, no, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Or through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will walk through fire and you will not be burned, nor shall the flame consume you. So that's the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Or maybe at times in our lives, we're, we're unassured of our adoption, unassured of our salvation. This is what Paul said when he says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Another dimension of him being our counselor is that he talks to God on our behalf. Yes, he stands alongside of all of us in Christ, but he also calls out to God on our behalf. So when you, when you hear the word counselor, also think about that in a legal term, like, like, like a lawyer, like an advocate speaking on your behalf. And Romans chapter eight reminds us the Holy Spirit is praying for us. He is asking for God's blessings on us based upon the, the purchase of, God, of Christ's blood on our behalf. What it means is that the Spirit of God is constantly asking the Father for the blessings that Jesus has already purchased for you. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. Romans 8 says in a language we don't even understand. And, and, and groanings that we don't understand. 
Let me tell you why that's really, really good news for us because there's times in life, I know this is so true of me, I'm assuming it's true of you, I don't know what to pray. Or I feel like my prayers are so imperfect or self-centered or shallow. And even when my prayers are imperfect, the Holy Spirit is praying a perfect prayer for us. He's praying on our behalf, going straight to the Father and, and, and pleading on our behalf based upon the merit of Christ and the work on the cross. The Holy Spirit is, is praying for you. If you don't know what to pray, you forget to pray, this is good news for us. This Holy Spirit, this wise counselor, the one that's gonna lead us into all truth, this one who is a great prayer is constantly praying for us. Let me give you this statement. Christian, you have all of the Holy Spirit. There's been false doctrine for the last 2,000 years that says, oh, you get some of the Spirit or a portion of the Spirit or, or a third of the Spirit or a third of God. And you just need to know, based on the authority of, of Scripture, Christian, you have all. He doesn't split himself up. You have all of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, we grieve the Holy Spirit and maybe his power in us um, increases and decreases based upon our disobedience. But he doesn't leave you. You have all the Holy Spirit. But here's the question we need to consider today. The big question is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Like are there parts of your life, parts of your schedule, parts of your personality, parts of your world, parts of your thoughts, parts of your schedule, parts of your, your finances? You say, Holy Spirit, you can have everything but, but that. You can have every part of me, but, but not this closet, not this part of my heart, not this part of my thinking, not this part of my schedule, not this part of my bank account. I mean, Christian, you have all the Holy Spirit. The question that is begged of every believer in this room today is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Are there portions of your life that you have reserved for you and not for the Spirit of God. Oh, would you stand with me, please? We're gonna end today as we've been ending several times in this, in this series, and it's an opportunity for you to, to surrender. Opportunity for you, if you want to, just to come forward and say, I, I, I wanna lay everything down before the Spirit of God. If he's gonna guide me into truth, it's not that I'm wondering if I have all of him. The big question is, does he have all of me? So even as, as we sing this song, you're welcome to come and just kneel here at the front and to surrender or to re-surrender yourself to the power of the Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit, the help of the Spirit. We also have some staff members that will be standing here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. There's some things that you're struggling with, some things that you want some, uh, some support in, some things that you want some encouragement in in prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Or again, you're welcome to walk right past us and just come and kneel here at the front, surrendering yourself fully, wholly, completely to the Holy Spirit of God. Let's sing. Won't you please come?